Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. Well, we're continuing in our series, M1 Vision, and I want to tell you just a little bit of our story. Cindy and I, in 1979, were happily serving in a wonderful church in Baytown, Texas. We all know where Baytown uh, is, and Mary was a part of that congregation. I had her daughter in our youth choir there, and, and we were loving uh, serving in that great church when we got an unexpected call from a college classmate of mine who had graduated at the top of the class at Houston Baptist College in those days and then Southwestern Seminary, and he had just accepted the pastorate of a very unusual church in Amarillo, Texas. And he asked if I would pray about coming to lead the worship ministry and the television ministry of the church. The church broadcast its services on the NBC affiliate there. He said, I want you to come and lead in these ministries, and let me tell you a little bit about the church. And he told me that that church brought in more than 500 children every week. Remember the days of bus ministry? Remember that? We have, we have a form of that still going on in our church here, but, but there, there was a fleet of old school buses, and they were bringing in hundreds of kids every Sunday. And not only that, he said last year, the year before he came as pastor, that they had baptized more than 1,200 people in a single year to lead the entire Southern Baptist Convention in baptisms. And he said, will you pray about coming? And I thought, I don't even need to pray. That's the kind of church I always want wanted to be a part of that was winning people to Jesus and, and baptizing them and seeing them come to spiritual maturity. Uh, pack your bags, honey, we're going. I didn't even ask her what she thought. Big mistake, husbands. But we packed up everything and our four kids and we went to Amarillo, Texas. And when we got there, I found that it was not what I expected that they had a way, and they had literally trained their people to manipulate people to pray the sinner's prayer, to make a decision, and then they would manipulate and guilt them into being baptized and count them as a baptism statistic. But as I watched over the months that unfolded, I found that the vast majority of those people baptized never came back. They just kind of disappeared, and they weren't being discipled in the Christian life. And I became confused and disillusioned. And as we went through that experience, I began to ask myself, why are we here? Is this what we're supposed to be doing? And when I went to the church... I was the eighth full-time pastor added to the staff. When we left 18 months later to serve a church in Humble, Texas, only the senior pastor was left. And during that time, the church had literally imploded. There was a, a mutiny on the staff. The associate pastor was leading a clandestine movement to try to get the senior pastor removed so he could become the senior pastor. 
There were staff that were on the verge. I, I literally saw one guy chase another pastor across the campus because he was going to beat him up. And the guy, I'm not making this stuff up. He got to his office and locked the door to keep from getting in a fist fight. The church had a, a forced audit and found it was more than a million dollars, not in long-term debt, in immediate arrears, more than a million dollars. It was just a, a nightmare. And that experience over a year and a half drove me back to the passage of Scripture that has been the basis for this sermon series. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 which contains what we commonly refer to as the Great Commission. Let me read it to us again. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. That's our focus for today. Make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't end there. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The word translated in English here, disciples, is the same word from which we get Christ followers. It literally means a follower of Jesus, one who is in a lifelong pursuit of the lordship of Christ in their life. It not only means someone who has stepped across the line of faith to turn their back on their, their past and their sin, and they've turned to Jesus to believe in him and trust in him, and they are born again, as John chapter 3 describes. But it also means someone who then begins a journey, a journey of faith, submitting unto Christ their heart and their mind and their will. And they are in a process of spiritual growth. Because you see, when we talk about in, in, in our mission statement, becoming Christ followers, there is a sense in which when you step across the line of faith and are born again, you become a Christ follower. Are you with me? It's a point in time spiritual transaction in which your sins are forgiven and your eternity is secured not by your good works but by the grace of God through faith in Christ. You become in that moment in time a Christ follower. But there's another sense in which once you have stepped across that line and you begin to walk on that faith journey, you are continually becoming a Christ follower. Are you following me? It's a process. Sanctification is the theological term. And so we become a Christ follower, and then we begin a journey of faith in which we are continually becoming a Christ follower. And so as we conclude this series on our mission statement, that's where our focus for today lands. Our mission statement is the, the statement of purpose, the statement of mission for our church, what it is we are to do, who it is we are to be as a collective body of believers. So once again, for the final time in this series, let me read our church's mission statement. 
Magnolia's First Baptist Church exists to engage every generation, and here's our focus for today, to become Christ followers. I heard someone say this last week as Pastor Milton and I attended the Baptist General Convention of Texas. I I heard one of the speakers say this, and I loved it. The church is God's plan A for a lost world. There is no plan B. The church is God's plan for a lost world. We are the vehicle through which the gospel is transmitted to a world that is lost in sin. And that's why we have spent these five weeks refocusing on this mission statement because, and this is our big idea, our main theme, our sermon in a sentence for today, the most important thing in life is to become a Christ follower. The most important thing. Whatever we do with our finances or our career or whatever else we might want to name, and there are many important things in life, there is nothing in life as, imp- as important as becoming a Christ follower because, not, think about it, nothing else in life lasts forever. Nothing else in life is eternal except our soul. So, the only decision in life that has eternal consequences is whether or not a person becomes a Christ follower. So that brings us to the question, what does that even mean? Uh, What is it that we should aspire to, or if I use correct grammar, to what should we aspire as Christ follows? What, What is it we should be seeking to become and to do? Or to ask it another way, what does a committed Christ follower's heart and life look like? How can you describe it? Well, my opinion matters not at all, but what the Word of God has to say matters completely. So I want to take you to Scripture. And I believe Scripture teaches us that there are some foundational attributes, there are some unmistakable evidences in the life of every committed Christ follower. And as I launch out into these, let me say, none of us will exhibit these perfectly. None of us will be the ideal embodiment of these biblical values that I'm going to unpack to you today. Even the great apostle Paul says, it's not that I've arrived, it's not that I've achieved it all. I mean, if the apostle Paul hadn't, then I sure haven't, and you haven't. But here's what Paul went on to say, but I press on, I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of for me. So these are the things that we press on to be embodied in our lives as evidences of our commitment to Christ. There are a few of them. First of all, a committed Christ follower will have foundationally, underneath everything else, a deep love for Christ as their Savior, Lord, and Master. You know these words of Jesus, Matthew 22, 37, and 38. Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
love for Christ. Through the years, I've talked to a lot of people who will say, Pastor, I grew up in a church that taught that if you, if you didn't make it to church regularly, you're going to lose your salvation and go to hell. You ever talk to somebody that grew up in a church like that? And I've talked to others who said, I grew up in a religious system that there were certain rituals and sacraments and all these things that we had to do and then hope that we made it to heaven. And can I tell you with no disrespect intended to those religious teachings and and systems, that's not what Jesus taught. That's not at all what Jesus taught. Jesus said that we should do what we do out of love for Him. Legalistic systems of religious expectations and performances and, and rituals use guilt and shame and fear and even family traditions and expectations to conform behavior. And all of those things are inferior motivations for true spirituality. Are you following me? That's not what should drive us. What should drive us is a deep, sincere, genuine love for Jesus that we are thankful to Him, that we stand amazed in His presence, that Jesus paid it all, that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And it is that love for the one who loved us when we did not even yet love Him that should be our foundational motivation for all that we are and do. And so, a committed Christ follower then will live in spiritual union with Christ. In spiritual union with Christ. Here's what Jesus said in John 15, beginning with verse 4. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Vital union with Christ, not just on Sundays or when you might get together with other Christians in some church-related setting, but daily vital union with Christ. I remember growing up, and here in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, quoted from the King James, it said, pray without ceasing. And I thought as a young person, how do you do that? And then I went to the New Living Translation, and it seemed even more impossible. Never stop praying. Well, then how do you live your life if you never stop praying? I mean, if you're on your knees all the time, how can you even function in life? And and it finally dawned on me that praying is not just when you drop on your knees in a quiet place and you pray to God. That certainly is important. We certainly ought to have times that whether it's on our knees, it's harder to get on my knees anymore, isn't it, for you? But in our heart, we are bowing before God, and we're, we, we need those quiet times of solitude and prayer. But what, 
what the Apostle Paul was talking about there is that our lives ought to be a continual communication, a continuing dialogue with the Lord that we love and serve. That throughout our day, really hundreds of times, we find ourselves talking to the Lord, praying to Him, when we weren't even aware that we'd slipped into that kind of conversation with the Almighty One. That our prayer times aren't just some kind of religious institutional activity over here. They're just a part of who we are. And we find ourselves talking with Him and having an open mind and heart to hear what he would say to us. Now, he's never spoken to me audibly. If he has to you, great. But he, he knows how to impress on my heart what he wants to say. Haven't you found that to be true? When our hearts are open to him, he, he puts within us that sense. And that's what I believe that, that Jesus was talking about. That's what I believe Paul was talking about in 1 Thessalonians 5. Vital union with Christ that it's just an every moment relationship with the Lord whom you love and trust and want to please and follow more than anything else in your life. Spiritual union with Christ. And then that committed Christ follower will be living a life guided and shaped by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. I've said this before, but I remember a time when Baptists just got afraid of the Holy Spirit. Any of you remember that, that time? You know, because the charismatic movement went in kind of all wonky directions, and, it, you know, it, it was a problem in some of our churches. So there was a season of my Christian growing up years that Baptists just kind of, backed off mostly from talking about and teaching. And that was to our great loss. Because the Christian life is all about the presence and power and direction of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. I'm going to take you again to the writings of Paul. Galatians chapter 5, one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament. Here's what he says in verse 16. Follow this closely. Paul says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Now, I'm not going to read the next few verses, but if you took the time to do that, you would find in the next few verses, Paul gives a very ugly description about what the sinful nature produces. And when you read those verses, you will see a description of our culture, the segment of our culture that cares nothing about God and the things that, that they, they practice and they seek after. But then in verse 22, he makes a shift. Verse 22, but, there's the hinge, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. In other words, there's nothing that displeases God in these Holy Spirit Controlled virtues. Verse 24. 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Well, don't miss that verse. Listen to it again. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Here's the reality we live with. We have a dual nature. There is a a part of our nature that we were born with before we were, were redeemed by the blood of Jesus through faith in Him. That sinful nature came all the way down through the generations from Adam and Eve to us. And we were born with a bent towards sin, that sinful nature. But then when we stepped across the line of faith by God's Holy Spirit, uh, uh, a redeemed nature became a part of us. And that, that sinful nature was not completely jettisoned and discarded. It's still lurking there, and the enemy seeks to feed it every way he can. Are you following me? He knows those buttons to push. He knows those temptations to put in our path. He knows how to try to pull us back toward the things of that sinful nature. But the power of God's Spirit is in us so that we don't have to give in to that that the power of the cross resides within us. And those who are faithful to Christ have taken those those pulls and, and, and those temptations of the sinful nature, and they have nailed them to the cross by yielding to the Spirit of God. So with two natures within us, always at war. And the Apostle Paul talked about that. He said, sometimes the very things I know I ought to do, I don't do. The very things I know I ought not to do, I do those things. And so the war between the two natures is constant and real. But what he is saying here in Galatians 5 is, if you will yield to the Spirit, He will give you victory over the sinful nature. And so a committed Christ follower is aware of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit within his or her heart, mind, and life. And they yield to that Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and not to the Spirit of the evil one. A committed follower of Christ will have a life that is guided and shaped by the Holy Spirit. And here's what that kind of life, when the Holy Spirit is moving within us, He gives us a deep hunger to grow in spiritual wisdom and Christ-likeness. Again, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Philippi, Philippians 1, beginning with verse 9. This was his prayer for them. It would be his prayer for us too. He said, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters. Can I just tell you that we go off on a lot of things that don't really matter? 
I, I could name a whole bunch of controversies that are swirling around us trying to pull our passion away from the things of God. Paul says, I want you to know, I want you to understand what really matters. Why? So that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. And I love verse 11. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. It is God's desire, it is God's plan for every one of us that are Christ followers that we would continually be growing. Verse 9 says, growing in knowledge and understanding. We ought to be growing in our understanding of the Word of God and spiritual truth. But not just intellectual head knowledge but the truth of a transformed life. Paul said that you might, verse 10, live pure and blameless lives. And then verse 11, and display the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ so that others might see him in you. I remember an old hymn, some of you would remember, let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Be faithful and true. You see, when there is that hunger to grow in Him, we look more and more like Him. We act like Him. We love like Him. We speak like Him more and more. And then the last thing I'll mention, that all of these things are not just for a little while. They're not just for a season, they're over a lifetime, a lifetime, that there would be steady growth over the long journey. Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, that day you stepped across the line of faith, you must continue Continue to follow him. I love this image. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth, the truth you were taught, and you, good verse for us today, you will overflow with thankfulness. The long journey. Some of you might recognize the name of the late Eugene Peterson. Uh, If you don't recognize his name, perhaps you're familiar with his translation of the Bible called The Message. Any of you uh, know that? It's it's really more of a paraphrase, but uh, he really became well known in evangelical Christianity for that that translation of the Scripture into uh, almost colloquial English. But Long before the message translation made him well-known, 20 years before, Eugene Peterson wrote a, a classic book entitled, listen to this, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. 
And I want to read you a quote from that classic book and what he said really more than 30 years ago about the culture of his day is still true, maybe even more true about ours. Listen as I read his words, quote, It is not difficult in our world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is terribly difficult to sustain the interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, anything Even good news about God can be sold if it is packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes on the garbage heap. There is a great market for religious experience in our world, but there is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. What he is saying is that there are too many that start out as if this is real and life-changing, but they don't stay. There are two cliches that I've heard for years, and they're cliches, but they're both true, I believe. The first is this. It's not how high you jump, it's how straight you walk when you hit the ground. But the second, I think, is even more relevant. The Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a marathon. And our desire at Magnolia's First is to help you and everyone who will go on this long marathon of a faith journey. Our desire is to help you run the race well, to grow in the things of God, to exhibit the kinds of things that we have pulled from God's Word this morning. Now, last week you heard from our different age group uh, ministers. You, you heard from Tanya Gutierrez as she talked about our preschool ministry. You heard from Kaylee McKeon as she talked about our kids' ministry. You heard from Daniel Rowland as he talked about our ministry to youth or students. Uh, today I want you to hear from Seth Westmoreland. Uh, Seth was our kids' pastor for many years, but now he not only oversees all of the media uh, for our church, which is a huge job in itself, but Seth is our associate pastor of discipleship, and he is beginning to employ a new vision for discipleship in our church. So watch the screen. Hi, I'm Seth Westmoreland, Associate Pastor of Discipleship and Media, and I want to tell you about M1's vision for discipleship. So M1's vision for discipleship is to engage every generation to take their next step in their faith journey, and we want you to be a part of it. And remember, this is a model that Jesus put for his disciples. This isn't a 
it's not a step-by-step -step and it's not a rule. It is, it is honestly, it's directions to ask the right questions as you begin your faith journey or as you continue your faith journey, whether you, you've been on that faith journey for 50 to 70 years. And I know some of you have. So these four questions address our desire to grow with God. The first one is simply to engage with God. And we do that in a number of ways. The first thing is to examine how are you living out your design? How are you being the hands and feet of Jesus? Whatever it is that God has equipped you to do, how are you living that out? And then prayer. Obviously spending personal alone time in prayer is a great way to commune with God and to grow in your engagement with Him. And finally, taking a daily examine. A daily examine or a daily office where you stop throughout the day to just evaluate how are you doing in your walk with God that day. You do that multiple times a day where you, you close everything off, you hit do not disturb on your phone, and you just get alone, quiet with God and evaluate how are you doing. The second question or direction is how are you engaging with the truth? How are you engaging with God's Word? Are you reading the Scriptures daily? Are you, are you making it a part of your life? And then beyond that, who are you learning from? Are you engaging with the resources that are available? Do you have their books or blogs or Right Now Media, which we have available from Magnolia's First to you and to all of your friends for free? All you have to do is sign up. It's easy. But how are you engaging with the truth of who God is? The third question to ask is, how are you engaging with others? See, when you engage with others, you are being held accountable to how you're doing, honestly, in your discipleship with engaging with God and engaging with truth. We do this in two different ways. We engage in small groups, whether it's communities in your home that are small and you can be real with, or in corporate worship, where we come to the church and we have incredible worship services where together we we worship God in spirit and in truth, and we hear His words spoken in truth by our pastor. So our final question is, how do we engage with experience? Now, we want to do that in two ways. We talk about how we are taking our God-given talents, which is our hands and feet abilities, and putting them to work. Okay, And we do that by asking the question of, what can we do with what we've learned to engage our community? Is that better? Okay. I hope you will pray for Pastor Seth as he formulates this new strategy. This is a work in progress. We want to help you grow. Why is this such a big deal? I mean, we, we talk a lot about becoming Christ followers, stepping across the line of faith. Why is that such a big deal? What's so important about that? Well, I want to take you to one more passage of Scripture that for me demonstrates the urgency and importance of what we're about at Magnolia's First. Luke chapter 16 in Luke chapter 16, we find a parable of Jesus. Jesus taught in parables. And you know what a parable is. It's a made-up story that, that Jesus uses to teach a spiritual truth. And in Luke 16, he teaches a parable about two men. Uh, one man is wealthy, 
Uh, he's, he's got all the money that he could ever want. He has all of the extravagances and luxuries that the world of his day could afford. He, he has it all, it seemed. The second man named Lazarus was exactly the opposite financially. He was a beggar. He, he was struggling just to find enough scraps of food to survive. But then something happens to both of the men that unless Jesus returns in our lifetime will happen to all of us. Luke 16, verse 22. Finally, the poor man died, and he was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the in the far distance with Lazarus, that's the poor man, with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. And then verse 26 to me is a chilling verse. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. I leave you with four spiritual statements. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Eternity is forever. Ah, but the best one, Jesus loves you. John 3.16, the best known verse in all the Bible, for this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Magnolia's first, this is our message. This is our mission. We exist to engage every generation to become Christ followers. Because the most important thing in life is to become a Christ follower. We close our services here at Magnolia's First with a time of prayer and a time of invitation. If you're here today and you need to take the next step in your faith journey, that step may be to step across the line of faith and trust in Jesus as Savior. Or you may have done that, but you, you need to take a step of recommitment and faithfulness. Whatever your next step might be, in just a moment, our prayer partners will be here. And if you will just say to them, I need to take the next step, they'll help you know how you can do that and help you to take that step. But perhaps you just need to pray. You need to pray with godly prayer warriors, and that's what these folks are. They will pray with you about anything on your heart. Maybe there's somebody for whom you're burdened. Maybe it's an issue in your life. If it is an issue of sickness and you need healing, 
I would be honored as an elder of the church to anoint you with oil and pray over you for your healing as the scripture teaches. I'll be here at the front. So whatever it might be, would you respond to the Lord as he guides you? Would you stand with me, please? Our Father, we pray that in these next few moments, this time of prayer, this time of decision, that if there are burdens on the hearts of your people that should be shared and prayed over at the altar, then I pray that they would have the the inclination to step out and to come and to pray with these good folks who would love them and pray with them. Lord, if there are those here today who need to take the next step in their faith journey, whatever that step might be, help them not to be afraid. Help them to know that they will be loved and applauded and affirmed and encouraged here if they step forward and just say, I need to take the next step. Lord, if there are those who are sick, I would pray over them to be healed today that you might do what only you can do. Lord, we give you this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.